We just sang about how, how God's love defends us. How does God's love defend us? Let me, let me remind us. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3, says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and in envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works of righteousness that we have done, but because of his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we could become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There is no fog that could keep us unexcited from that, is there? And, and you don't have to, yeah, you can cheer, you can hot, hoot and holler, not honk and holler. If you honk and holler, we may have a problem. Um, I just want to encourage you with that. That this morning, I, I know some of you were here last week. If you weren't here last week and you're, you're here this week and, and you're, you're seeing the slide up in front of you here and you're like, oh, wait, here, I'll give it to you. How about that slide? And you're thinking, wait, I see dollar signs. I'm out. I need to remind you of something before we jump into to the message today. And I need to remind you of this. The series is on generosity, yes. It includes finances, but it also includes your time, your energy, your talent. We're not generous just because we feel like we're supposed to be generous. We're generous out of a response to something. We're generous out of a response that it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by the, the renewing of our spirits because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for me. And I understand what it means as, as 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 tells us. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty... You could be made rich. And if you weren't here last week, I'll just jump into this real quick again just to remind you. It's not saying Jesus was, was wealthy. It wasn't saying that, that Jesus at some point had become a very rich man. He, he wasn't. But what it's saying is that at one point, Jesus Christ, who, who has eternally existed even before the very foundation of the world, was existing in heaven, and, and, and he was being worshipped by angelic beings in perfect fellowship with his Father, But God loved us. And because God loved us, Jesus willingly gave that up to come and to be found in human fashion. He came to be born as a child. God showed up in a manger. And when God showed up, he didn't do it because he was bored. He made himself poor and became just like you and I so that he could rescue us. And when you understand the, the grace that has been poured out in you, when you understand how far separated from God you were in your sin, how you were completely unable to do anything about it yourself, when you understand that God loved you and sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you, and when Jesus took your place on the cross and, and died, he was laid in the tomb, and then three days later he came back to life and he conquered sin, death, and the grave forever. When you understand that, you can't help but look at people through different eyes. 
That, that's what motivates our generosity. Let, let me be clear. If generosity is motivated by a preaching series, we're all sunk. If generosity is motivating by me getting up here, being motivated by, by me getting up here and, and telling you what it means to be generous and how to be generous, man, that, and you may hear it and that may change things, but, but we can't sustain that. It's got to be a proper understanding of the grace that's been poured out in your life to, to sustain generosity. Now, last week, I did say generosity is not just financial. It includes time, talents, energy, ability. Uh, I will throw in there that, that generosity is also financial. So when you look at the offering number from last week, evidently you listened to me when I said it wasn't financial. <laughs> um, um, so just wanted to be clear, make sure I clarified that a little for you all. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Now, um, again, one of the reasons I wanted to do this series now at this point in the life of our church is because this is one of those moments in our church's life where we are seeing generosity displayed day in and day out, week in and week out, in special events and everyday events and everyday occurrences and, and all those things. That we, we, we don't want to hold back. We want to make sure that we, we, we recognize that and celebrate that, much like Paul did. We talked about it last week. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church who was who had said they were in on giving a gift to the, the needy in Jerusalem, and then after a year still hadn't given anything yet. And so Paul had written this letter, and in this letter to the Corinthians, he says, listen, I want you to see a couple things. I want you to take notice of the Macedonian churches. I want you to look at the, the church in Philippi, the church in Berea, the church in Thessalonica, and I want you to see how incredibly generous they are, even though they're going through a severe test of affliction, and they're in absolute poverty, and yet what's coming out of them, even though they're in affliction and poverty, it's coming, squeezing them, and it's coming out as joy and generosity that I can't even begin to explain. What, what they, they've understood the, 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 the most important thing, and that is that the grace that is poured out in their life, they didn't deserve. And it's not theirs to hoard. And so they want to take every advantage, every opportunity they can to be generous to other people. And so that, that gets us to where we are this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. I'm going to kind of split this up into two chunks. Um, yeah. <laughs> ah, well, never mind. So, sometimes I say too much about what my thought process is. At least that's what my wife tells me. I say too much, so I do say too much. It comes to mind and I say it, so um, here I'll say it because it came to mind <laughs> just to demonstrate she's right. Um, <laughs> I, I, working through this passage has not been easy, not because it's a tough passage to figure out. <sighs> it's been a difficult passage to get excited about because it's so pragmatic it's so practical. And so, um, I, 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 so this morning as I prayed and, and reviewed and read and reviewed and prayed some more, I prayed that God would fill me with passion. And so why don't you all join me as I pray um, that God would fill me with the right passion and that God would be honored in our response to the preaching of his word. Not my ideas, not what I think is exciting, not what I think is, is right for right now, but his word. Would you, would you pray along with me as I pray? <sighs> Lord, here we are, and we're ready to go. <laughs> I'm thankful that, uh, I'm thankful for the folks that you have placed in these seats this morning. There's certainly no accident. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, 
I think that everything we talk about this morning really is, is, is in that context of understanding how much Jesus gave up to rescue us. Lord, help that not be old. Help that be something that just, just overwhelms us, consumes us. And Lord, I pray that as, I, as we unpack your word this morning together, Lord, would your name be glorified? <laughs> and I know you work in mysterious ways. You could do amazing things this morning, and I pray that you would do that. Again, I beg that your Holy Spirit would change us, that he would begin with me. I pray that, that we would get a fresh understanding of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us. Father, that we would be overwhelmed by the fact that you loved us enough to send us your son. Lord, in these moments, I ask you would guide and direct our thoughts. May we respond in obedience regardless of what it means for us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'll start reading at verse 10. Actually, I'll go back. I'll start reading verse 8, and then I'll, I'll just kind of go from there. Verse 8, I, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desired to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. For I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it's written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. So, so here is the, the, the point that I want to draw out of these five verses just from looking at them. We must be faithful, generous stewards with what God has given to us. Now, um, steward is an awesome Christianese type word. Um, so let me, let me try to explain what it means to be a, a steward. What is stewardship? Stewardship is the, the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to someone's care. Or, or I'll boil it down even simpler. It means to manage somebody else's property. And so what we need to understand is as we view everything that we own, whether it be our finances, our possessions, whether it be our time, our talents, our energy, whether it be, be our homes, whether it be our vehicles, whether it be our children or our spouse, whatever we have, we are to be a faithful steward. It, it, it actually belongs to God, not to us. Where do we find that? You can find that in, in Psalm 24.1, where, where it talks about the earth and all that fills the earth is his. Or, or you can look at, at Psalm 50, where he talks about he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he, he owns all the herds and all the flocks, and he, he makes a comment, I think it's verse 13 or 14, somewhere in the middle there. He says, even if I was hungry, I wouldn't have to tell you. I own all the meat, which that's, that's a pretty enviable place to be, wouldn't it? I mean, that'd be, that'd be all right. So it all belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. It is all his, and what we must do is be faithful managers of his property. Let me give you a picture that hopefully will help. A mailman. What does a mail carrier, sorry, I'll be more politically correct. What does a postal carrier do? He, he carries what is the property 
of somebody else. It's not his. None of the mail that he carries is, is his. It's not his possession. They're not his words on the paper. You can't get mad at him for, for dropping off a bill. At least you're not supposed to get mad at him for dropping off a bill. And even though it's not the official uh, motto of the, the um, post office, it actually is, it's got a long history, but, but what we associate with as being the motto of the, the post office really does help us understand stewardship um, with, with boots on the ground. And this is the unofficial motto, neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night stays these courageous couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. We have any postal carriers in here? The man, I gotta tell you, brother, if that sister or sister, if that's you, you are my hero. Because I'll tell you what, it takes fog and I'm staying in bed. No, no, it doesn't matter if it's snow or rain or heat nor gloom of night. I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty sure the post office closes around what, four? But it's all right, it's okay. The idea is whatever they're doing, they're going to do it, they're going to handle it, they're going to deliver it to it where it's supposed to go because it's not their possession. What we need to understand is everything that God has given us is not our possession. We have been given it to manage it. And one of the real dangers we need to be careful of as we, as we try to wrap our heads around this is found in verse 12. He says, if the readiness is there, if the, the desire is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So, so this is going to, to, to be profound. You can't be generous with what you don't have. So stop looking at what everybody else has. Stop looking at everybody else has. That, that can cause an arrogance. Oh, look how much I have and how little they have. That'd be kind of like a, a postal carrier standing at the office before he goes out in his rounds in the morning being like, look at all the mail I have today. Oh, it's so sad for you. You only have a little. Which is the dumbest argument ever because the guy with the little is going home early at the end of the day. It's foolishness. It's not yours. That blown up your head, in your head, like, oh, look how much I have. So it can cause arrogance. The other thing it can cause as you, you look at what everybody else has is, is an insecurity. You can look at it and be like, man, man, I, I can't give as much as they give. I'm not as talented as they are. I'm not as wealthy as they are. I don't have the same possessions that they have. Man, what would have happened if the widow at the temple had the same thought? What would have happened as, as she approached the temple to bring her offering, as she heard everybody else coming to the boxes with bucketfuls of change, dumping it in, making a loud clanging noise? What would have happened if she was like, oh, I've only got two little pennies, I'm out. And I, the widow's two coins were worth just as much, if not more, than the bucketfuls of money that were being poured into the temple treasury at the time. So, so stop looking at what everybody else had. It's not about what everybody else has. It's not about what everybody else is bringing. It's not about what everybody else is doing. It's about what God has given to you. Why does God give you things? Well, let's go straight, let's go directly to finances. Why does God give you finances? He gives it to you to, to care for yourself, your, for your family, in the immediate moment, in preparing for the future. He gives you finances to, to see the gospel promoted and the kingdom advanced. He gives you finances and opportunities to meet the needs of others. 
Um, I want to be, be careful. Look, verse 14, your abundance at the, the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and there's fairness. Many people have read Jesus' words and have read the words of the New Testament, particularly here in 2 Corinthians 8, and what they have walked away with is this. Oh, that's communism. That's communism. We, we bring all of our money and we, we give it and they disseminate. Now, there's some, some marked differences between communism and what's being called for in Scripture. Uh, uh, communism, the government decides who gives and how much you give. And in case you want to keep track, you give everything. There isn't like, I'll just give a little percent. Is that okay? No, 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 no. In communism, everything belongs to the government. Everybody's required to give the same amount. Paul doesn't twist it here and say, okay, everything you have, you bring it to the church and the church will then disseminate it. The church will then hand it out to people because, you know, that's, that's how we're going to do things. No, if you remember in Thessalonians, what Paul tells the Thessalonians is this, man, hey, here's the deal. If you don't work, you don't eat. You best get working. See, that it's not communism. In fact, I, the picture that's that's inferred in verse 15 is a, is a cool picture. I mean, he says in verse 15, it's a quote out of Exodus chapter 16, whoever gathered much had, a li- had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. The, the picture there is, is where, where Moses and God are commanding the Israelites regarding manna. And if, if, let me just kind of hit this for you. The Israelites are coming out of, out of Egypt. They have no food. They're hungry. They start whining and complaining about having no food, talking about how they wish they were back in Egypt where there was just food everywhere, which isn't true. But, you know, we, we, we play mind games when we're in, in, in crisis. Um, and so, so God and Moses, okay, here's the deal. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to bring quail at night. You eat as much of the meat as you want. And in the morning, you're going to wake up, and you're going to look around the ground, and it's going to be like dew covering the ground, but it's going to be covered in this flaky-type bread. And it's going to taste sweet, like angel food cake. That's what I, You know the crust on angel food cake? I think that's manna. I think so. It's amazing. But, but, but what's going to happen is in the morning, you're going to go and you're going to get an omer worth or about an omer. That's all you're allowed to have by the time you're done collecting is an omer's worth. And so what happened is the people went out into the, into the fields, into the, the ground, and there they go, but they're like, look, what is it? What is it? And that's how it got its name because what is it actually is the word manna. That's, that's the word there. What is it? And they go and they're collecting it. And at the end of the day, they come. And what happens is some people collected more, some people collected less. Why? Okay, let, let's be honest. If, if, if I threw out handfuls of flies in this room, not that I would ever do that, there would be some people who would walk out here with eight or nine flies. I saw it happen. And there'd be some people who didn't get any. Why is that? Because some people are a little more motivated. Some people have a little more energy. Our, our younger people walked out here with bucketfuls of flies that day. I saw pictures of them in your homes. I apologize. <laughs> um, same thing. Our, the younger people in, in, in the Israelites' um, camps there would probably have collected more. The older folks, maybe not so much. And so it would have been all these things, run around, get this, get that, get this, get that. And at the end of the day, it's like, wait, I don't have that much. You have way too much. What's going to happen? And at the end of the day, what it says is those who had too much, they actually went home with an omer. That's like a bucket full. We'll call it a bucket full. Those who had too little, they, they went home with a bucket full. Because the excess of one provided for the lack of another. And that's the biblical principle. What God has given to you is is possessions, is finances, is time, is energy, is talent. And it's given to you not to spend on yourself, not to hoard for yourself, but you have been given 
so that you can help meet the needs of other people. May we understand that as we continue to move forward. May we individually be faithful, generous stewards with what God has given to us. Let me continue reading, starting in verse 16. Paul says, But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. See, Titus not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he's going to you of his own accord. With him, we're sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that's being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we're sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. As for our brothers, they're messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men." All right, so, so long and short, let me just kind of put this up there. Not only should we be faithful, generous stewards with what God has given us, but UBC as a church must be faithful, generous stewards with what God has given to us. See, in this moment, what you have is, is you have three guys. Paul is sending three guys to go to Corinth to receive the offering the Corinthians are, are, are taking up. So you got Titus. We, we've heard of Titus. He wrote a book in the Bible. Okay? Then you have this guy who nobody knows his name, but he's a world-famous preacher of the gospel. Not sure how exactly that works, but nobody knows his name. And then you have this other guy who we're not even going to talk about, but, but he's a great guy. So Paul sends these three men to Corinth to receive the offering the Corinthians had taken up. Why? Well, why did he send these three men? It's a, it's a single word. Integrity. Integrity. Paul had, had accountability. Paul had protection. Pa- Paul was not the one showing up being like, listen, you've got to give money to the church in Jerusalem. Now let me fill my pockets with your money. And I promise the church in Jerusalem will get it. No, in this moment, he sent three other men so that there'd be integrity, accountability, protection. And, and, and folks, we gotta, as a church, what we must do is have stewardship with integrity, management with integrity. Um, in order to do that, it takes foresight, it takes planning. Uh, he says that in Verse 21, we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. That, that, that phrase, we aim at, that means we, 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 um, we give thought to, we consider how we can do this. It's the same word that's used um, in, in Romans 12, I think it's Romans 12, where it talks about don't repay evil with evil, but instead consider how you can respond in that moment in an honorable way. That idea of considering, think through. Our gut reaction would be to do this. But instead, I want you to take a moment and just consider how you might respond. So it takes, it takes planning. It takes foresight in order for us to be managing God's resources with integrity. So as a church, we need to be faithful with what God has given us to glorify him. And we do that in way, with ways of, of accountability. And, and I'm not going to list all of them, and, and this can get really crazy out of control if I tried to list all of them, but, but some of the things we do is we, we have a budget. Every year we, we have a budget. We make that a budget available for you to actually look at and see and understand where it is that we're spending the finances and resources that God's given us. We, we have a bookkeeper. 
We have an executive pastor. We have elders. We have staff. We have, we have counters who, who on Mondays count the offering. And it's not just a single person who sits at a desk and goes through the money. It's, it's a couple of people. So that way there is integrity and accountability built into that process as well. I mean, as elders, we, we talk about what it is that we think God is leading us to do as a church. And then we, we, we pray about the decision and we, we pray about it some more and we talk about it some more. And, and, and so there's accountability and integrity that's in that situation. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. When it comes to the budget, there is no magic trick to coming up with the income number for each year. Kind of like you look at the magic eight ball like, well, what are they going to give week to week this time? I have no idea. And the hard part about that as a church is that we build our entire budget based on estimated giving from week to week that's going to happen in that year. And that stinks. Just going to be honest. Was that too honest? Okay, good. But that's the only way we can do it as a church. It's the only way we can do it. But it, but it, it makes it difficult. So, so what we have to do is we, we pray, we set a number, we follow that number with the budget, we make staffing decisions and ministry decisions based on that number, and then we pray like maniacs that we got the number right and that God would continue to guide and direct as we work through that process. It's not an, an easy situation, but, but we, we continue to pray, we continue to set that number, and we try to be fiscally responsible and even fiscally conservative at times because, here's a crazy thought, as a church, we want to pay our bills on time. I mean, that's, that's nuts, isn't it? I mean, who would think that? We, we want to make sure we continue to pay our, our, our bills on time. We want to manage those resources well. We want to have a good fiscal reputation in our community. Um, there are a lot of ways that Satan attacks his, uh, uh, God's churches. Certainly one of them is fiscal immaturity and, and, and fiscal, <laughs> I'll use a Frank word, fiscal moronicness. But we, the churches tend to just make stupid, foolish decisions time and time again. And what it does is it tears down the name of God and it eliminates opportunities to share the good news of the gospel within the community. But when we live in a fiscally responsible way, when we are uh, acting in integrity, it highlights God and makes much of him. But being faithful with what God has given us, being faithful stewards, isn't just integrity in business. It's integrity in our generosity as well. Let me explain that for a second. There, there's a danger, <laughs> there's a very real danger, when you teach or preach of hypocrisy. That's just reality. So I can get up here and I can open up the Word of God and I can tell you exactly what the Bible says and, and, and I, I can say it and I may not be killing it that week and obeying it, but I can still tell you what the Word of God says and, and, and so what I say carries weight, not, not because I say it, not because I'm killing it when I, when I leave this place and, and obeying everything, but the Word of God carries weight because it's the Word of God. But, but there is a very real danger of that hypocrisy. So we want to be very careful of that. So, so that being said, the elders and the pastors and the staff, they're, they're, our goal isn't to be content with talk and no action. I can stand up here and say, God wants you to be generous and then never do anything personally to back that up. I can stand up here and say, God wants us to be generous. And then as a church, leadership we hoard whatever it is we have. So, so, so why in the world would you listen when I stand in front of you and say, be generous, and you know that we're hoarding the resources ourselves? You, you have no reason to listen to that. So we must be leading in generosity, being faithful with what God has given us. 
So I've asked uh, Pastor Mark, our executive pastor, to come up here and just share a couple of ways that God's allowed us to, to exercise that gift of generosity from Uniontown lately. So go for it. I'll sit back here and heckle you. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. Okay, um, so there's several things that we do on a regular basis that I just want to lay out first. Uh, we have a caring fund, and people give to the caring fund, and that goes out every, um, many times on a weekly basis to different people who are in great need. And also, part of our budget on a regular basis is our global and local outreach, which is 10% of our budget, so we're always giving in that way. Um, last year... We had an amazing year, and so we ended up with a surplus of $138,000 as a church uh, because of your generosity. Um, and because of that, uh, in order to uh, keep our contingency fund where it needs to be, we had to put some money there, and then that left us with an excess of roughly $70,000 last year. And so the elders have decided to replenish uh, our capital needs account and then to be faithful and obedient and to tithe on the abundance of what God has given us as a church. And when I mean that, it's not stuff within our church necessarily. Um, so I'm proud to say that the elders have decided that we'll be giving $10,000 away to four different areas uh, in the short term. First, we have the awesome opportunity to bless a ministry called Care for Pastors. Um, Care for Pastors is a ministry that worked with many of the leaders and many of us here um, in the last few years during some hard times. Um, and they're a ministry that helps keep ministry leaders balanced and humbled and encouraged and accountable. And so we're able to bless them. Also, um, we're going to be sending $2,500 to uh, one of our global partners, the Hundermark family. They were here just a few weeks ago. And the Hundermarks um, are doing great on their month-to-month -month needs. However, they're getting ready to go into the mission field for the long term, 20, 25 years, actually, to be honest with you. And so um, they are needing almost $15,000 to just get onto the field. And so we have the opportunity to bless them. They're going to be going into um, a tribal group and learning their language and taking that so that they can translate the Bible um, to this remote people group, another awesome opportunity for our church to see the gospel expand. Um, and you know, we've been talking about get off the hill, right? Everybody here is get off the hill, get off the hill, get off the hill. And uh, so many are doing that, and that's been awesome. And so one of the things, um, many of the things, like areas like summer camps, FSK football team meals, kickoff party, book bags for Elmer Wolf, and we wanted to make it a little easier for your ministry team, your small group, uh, your Bible study to get off the hill. And so with that, we're developing a grant system within Uniontown. Um, so, um, and the specifics are still being worked out, but if your group or team is dreaming about doing something out in the community uh, to build relationships so ultimately we can uh, share Jesus and show the love of Christ around, um, you can apply for a grant. Maybe you want to work with your local school and go and landscape and you need money for the mulch to do that so apply. Maybe you want to bring um, a group to serve in a nursing home and you want um, to provide a special dessert for that, those residents, apply. Um, maybe you need money to help us start an event within a local town to fix it up, apply. Um, it's a way to encourage all of you uh, with your dreams to get off the hill, not just a small group of people deciding what that is. Um, and finally, we're going to be providing $2,500 to a few local out outreach ministries. Um, all of those details are still kind of in work at this time. So 
The last thing is I just want to share with you, the last two weeks, we have asked you all to, um, to give specifically to hurricane relief um, in Texas and also and in Florida. And I'm proud to say that Uniontown Bible Church raised $3,439 as a church. And we're going to be sending that this week to Convoy of Hope to help in the relief of those areas. So I'm so par- proud to be a part of a church that's generous, right? generous with our time and our resources. And um, there's many more things on the horizon. Um, There's a new building that we're talking about to create classroom space uh, for all ages of the congregation to be in Bible studies and classes on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. Um, There's new ministry forming. And ultimately, God creates and puts things in our place, and it's our job to get on board with what he's doing. So I'm excited to see where and how he's going to lead us and how we will get on board generously to obey and follow him. (laughs) Um, We need to be faithful, generous stewards with what God's given us. Not, not so that we can come back to the church and give wonderful reports about some of the things that are happening here. We need to be faithful, generous stewards of what God has given us so that we glorify him. So, pray that we handle our resources with integrity. Pray that we don't discredit God with a mishandling of resources. And, and that's finances, certainly, but it's much more than that. So, so let me, just a couple of extra minutes, but that's rare. I'll burn those right up. Um, <laughs> but one of the resources we need to handle very carefully and with integrity and generosity is our building. This is a gift from God. It's a, <laughs> I caught myself, it's a weird gift is what I was going to say. It, it's a gift in a weird place. Kind of strange to be driving down that road down there and be like, where's that Uniontown Bible Church place? Whoa! That cornfield sprouted a building. Man, it's a gift. It's a gift that we've been able to use in serving our community, even in the last month. It's a gift, and so we need to handle it carefully. So, so what that means is we're to faithfully take care of it. So, little dad moment. This is what I tell my kids. I'll, I'll share it with you guys. Leave it nicer than when you showed up. So if you walk into the restroom and walk out like, man, that place is a dump. There's paper towels everywhere. Somebody should clean that up. May I introduce you to somebody? (laughs) That was a weird one to get claps for, but all right, we'll go with it. it, Well, we pay somebody to do that. Well, that's true if you're at a country club. Not this church. So, so we need to be faithful stewards of this gift that God's given us. As leadership, as elders, as pastors, as staff, we need to be faithful stewards of your time. There's a very real danger of, of, of us loading up the calendar so much that, that and we're desperately trying to figure this out. I, I mean it. We talk about it all the time. It's one of the reasons why uh, the building continues to come back in conversation is because we don't have the space to do everything in one night right now. So instead, some of you are stuck coming back four or five times a week. And I'll be honest with you, if you're here four or five times a week, let me ask you a question. Who's parenting your kids? Right? I mean, have you seen your kids? 
Oh, but I'm there every time the church is open. Uh, that sounds an awful lot like an addiction, trying to self-medicate, not in faithful stewardship of the relationships God has placed in your life at home or in your community. So, so please, I, I, and I, I mean this, pray for us that, that we wouldn't squander the, the incredible opportunity and resources that God has given to us as a church, both financial and, and physical and time and talents. Pray that we don't discredit ourselves or, or the gospel or, or worse, that we would pray that we don't shame God by not handling the resources he's given to us with a generous spirit. Um, I had a friend that used to pray this all the time, that, that we would have uncommon wisdom. I love that. So pray that the leadership would have uncommon wisdom. Pray that we wouldn't lose sight of what we have in Jesus. Pray that we are so overwhelmed by grace we can't help but be generous. Pray that we don't forget that, the, that we were so blind and now we see, that we were lame but now we walk, that, that we were condemned but now we're released, that we're dead but now we're alive. Pray we don't forget we're hopeless but now we live a life that is marked by nothing but hope. Pray that uh, we don't forget that we were poor. But through Christ's poverty, we've been made rich in God's grace. And let, let's not just bring the good news off the hill. Let's be so affected in our soul that we can't help but open our mouths. Let's be so overwhelmed by the grace of God that we are generous, not out of duty, but out of awe. Would you pray for us like that? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be here in this place, in this moment, um, with your word. <laughs> uh, Paul, Paul put this in Scripture. You put this in Scripture, not, not by mistake, but because we need it. We need to be reminded of what we have in Jesus and what it should drive us to. We need to be reminded of, of where you rescued us from. We need to be reminded of the hope we have in Christ. Lord, would you remind us of, of what it was like to be lost without you? God, help us to see the people around us who are in need of a rescue, not as those people, but as outsiders. God, I pray that each person in this room would see them as you see them, created in your image needing the breath of life breathed into them by your son, Jesus. Thank you for the riches of your grace that we can taste and see in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.